Lord, we praise you that you reign on high, that we can sing together these songs of praise and pray now that as we come to the word and prepare to come before the table today, that you would open your truth to our understanding, grow us in faith as a church. I pray that we would feed upon the word and that you would sanctify us through this time together. We pray for those who know not Christ and ask that you would bring saving faith to their understanding even today. Lord, guide us and direct us through this time together that your name might be praised and that your people might be fed. Through Christ we pray. Amen. In 1968, the East African nation of Tanzania sent John Akwari to compete as a marathon runner in the Olympic Games in Mexico City. Akwari qualified for the final, but during the race, he suffered a devastating fall. He struggled to his feet, and his dislocated knee an injured shoulder were racked with pain. He was attended by medical staff, patched up, bandaged up. There was no way now that John could win the race. The severity of his injury made it nearly unthinkable that he would even continue the race. But continue he did. And Akwari finished the 26 miles. He finished them dead last, one hour behind the runner in front of him. A reporter asked John what motivated him to endure such pain and when one walked to the car on a dislocated knee, let alone run 26 miles. What motivated you to continue on with such pain? Akwari replied, I don't think you understand My country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. Follower of Jesus, we were not saved to start the Christian life. We were not saved to run it for a while. We were saved by Jesus Christ to finish it. Our calling in life is to run the Christian race with endurance until we meet Christ in glory. And there is for every believer the concern that we continue on, that we keep running to the end. As we have worked our way through this book of Hebrews, we know that it was a very severe temptation for these readers to pull off the race. To say it's too hard, it's too difficult, there's too many dangers, too many trials. And so the author of Hebrews has exhorted us not to fall away from the living God, but rather to continue to draw near to Him. He is the one who has designed and built a city that we are pursuing, 11.10. The danger then is pulling off the race denying the faith, living for the fleeting pleasures of sin, and finally to fall into the hands of the living God. Chapter 10, verse 31. So no matter what trial or difficulty, no matter what level of suffering or what persecutions we may face, we must keep running the Christian race by trusting in Jesus. It's a simple concept 
And yet our very life, our very eternity depends upon it. Because he is the great and final high priest who shed his life blood for the redemption of his people, freeing us from bondage to sin and death, we must trust Jesus. After his once for all and final sacrifice, Jesus now reigns from heaven's throne as a mediator of a new covenant. So we must never turn away from following him. It would be folly to do so. We must continue to trust him to the end. And the Holy Spirit now turns from these concepts and the great chapter of faith in chapter 11 to the therefore of chapter 12 and verse 1. So, in light of those who have endured by trusting in God's presence and promises to the end, the Holy Spirit now turns to us and says, Therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We see then, first of all, that we must run the Christian race. And let me just point out here textually a couple of ideas, and that is that there are two commands in this passage. The English translations come across as there may be several, but really they're usually just translating participles, I-N-G ending words, to make that simple. But notice there in verse 1, Run with endurance. That's the first command. That's the, everything centers on that, to run with endurance. And then secondly, in verse 3, consider Him who endured. That is, consider Christ. Those are the two commands that we find in this text, and everything centers around them. So we're working first toward that first one. We must run the Christian race with endurance. Therefore, verse 1. Therefore. Grammarian, one grammarian called this a triple compound inferential particle used for emphasis. Isn't that edifying? That one word. What's that mean? The means is listen, people. These stories of faith through the ages, this fraternity of faith in chapter 11, you cannot rightly consider them and walk away unchanged. There's a therefore. There's an inference. There's an emphasis now that he draws. In light of the grand heritage of believers who have trusted God through all sorts of triumphs and trials. In light of the fact, verse 1, that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We are to run this race. That cloud of witnesses, that would strike them, the original readers, in, in their language, like we, it would strike us if we said a sea of faces. I'm not talking about a literal ocean, and they're not talking about literal clouds, but they would have understood that right away to be a dense throng of people. Well, who are those, that dense throng of people? Clearly in context is chapter 11. So in light of this dense throng of witnesses, now how do you take the word witnesses? Does this mean believers of old surround us like fans in the stands, watching us as we live our daily lives, cheering us on in the faith? 
I have no idea what they can or cannot see. We could go into that at some length. There's some indications they're very aware of life on earth. But that's not the point here. The people of faith in chapter 11 do not witness us, us as spectators. They witness to us of persevering faith in God. They do not watch our lives from above necessarily. Rather, we watch their lives as they continue to witness to God's trustworthiness. We watch them, for instance, here in the pages of Scripture, in the biographies of the Christian faith. And notice that it is a we here. Therefore, since we are surrounded. An emphasis on our participation in this great heritage of faith. So we hear the roar of their witness to God's faithfulness and the triumph of faith. We see these believers who have gone before and have lived this life out. So let us take the baton of faith and run and follow what they have done and join that great fraternity of faith that will meet at the throne of Christ someday. But as we consider that, as it stirs up within us the spirit of running and enduring and pursuing the Lord, we need to first consider the next phrase, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. That's actually preparatory to the running in the uh, original text here. But laying aside every weight. That is, we are to run the Christian life with endurance, but first remembering that marathon runners do not wear backpacks. They don't carry extra weight. You've probably seen the Olympics in the summer, and you look at the runners, and they're just not carrying extra pounds. Nor do they wear a lot of clothes. Everything is about being as fit as possible to run that race and to carry nothing extra. So if we're serious about following Christ to glory we too must learn to lay aside all hindrances to the race. There's no other question we can ask, but what is weighing you down? What is holding you back from running the race faithfully? It could be a habit, a practice, an interest that is not innately evil, but your desire has become inordinate. And it's holding you back in the faith. It's a love that this life provides that in itself is is fine, but there's a love there that is continually holding you back from persevering in the faith. Or, it could be sin that clings so closely. Perhaps the Holy Spirit may even right now be convincing you of a habitual sin that muddies the waters of your spiritual life. Bitterness, anger, sexual disobedience, a lack of love for a mate, a church member, a family member, the love of wealth, pride, selfishness. Where does the Holy Spirit convict us? We need to lay aside the sin that keeps us from running on that keeps us from enduring in the faith. We must lay aside the habits of life that do not aid us in our Christian walk. 
some years ago. The style's still there, but thankfully not as much. But some of you remember uh, the style where a lot of young men were wearing their pants somewhere south of their hips and uh, trying to you know, keep them on somehow, like defying gravity. That was a, a style. And right in the middle of that, uh, I remember seeing a guy playing basketball at a park. It's an outdoor park. He's shooting baskets. And his pants are like down here. And, and he, he's, he's shuffling around like this, <laughs> shooting baskets. I'd be like, what is the point of this? He had to do everything he could to keep him from going down to his ankles, and he's trying to play basketball. I mean, it's just silly, isn't it? I mean, we laugh and just say it just looks so ridiculous. He needed to pull his pants up. And we similarly, so often in our lives, are hindered by things that don't draw us closer to Christ. Their interests, focus, and even sins that just continue to hold us back. What is that, Christian? Where is that? And the question is, why on earth would we not pull up our pants? Why would we not free ourselves of these things? That's what the Spirit is bringing us as a church to consider today. What's the hindrance? Are you, to change it to a better analogy, are you carrying a backpack as a sprinter? Get it off. Take it off. Address it. So laying aside every weight, the sin which clings so closely, then let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The running analogy indicates that the Christian life is a progressive undertaking. We're making progress toward a fixed goal. And reach, reaching that goal demands perseverance. Just that, that concept is actually edifying and helpful to us. There's a process here. There's a, a, a goal that I'm reaching toward. And the very real temptation that along the way we can quit the race. That the trials of life, the persecution of ungodly people, the difficulties of walking with Christ as a minority in this world can lead us to just pull off it's just hard to keep running forward. So we're exhorted here to run this race. The Greek word translated here, race, is agona. We get our English word agony from it. Don't overdo that. But the idea is here of a strenuous struggle. The race is not an easy one. It wasn't for John Awari, and it's not for us in a very different way. Picture a long-distance runner persevering through the agony of the race. And we are to endure. To endure as we go through the paces of life. William Barclay has a classic definition of this word endurance. It is a determination, unhurrying and yet undelaying, which goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected. Obstacles do not daunt it, and discouragements do not take its hope away. It is the steadfast endurance which carries on until in the end it gets there. It just keeps running. Whatever the challenge. The obstacles to running. In the very same 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. The same Olympics where Akwari finished the marathon on an 
injured knee. There was another long-distance runner from Kenya named Kip Kano. He suffered during those Olympics from an infected gallbladder. He nonetheless entered the race. That's an obstacle, isn't it? A minor obstacle for a runner. An infected gallbladder. He got into the 10,000 meter race and he collapsed. They had to haul him off. He then ran the 5,000 meters a little later, still suffering, and he won a silver. But his gallbladder... The infection raged so badly that the doctors said, you just stay in bed. In the athlete's village, that's where you need to stay, even though the 1,500-meter race is coming. you got to stay out of this. You've won your silver, just stop. So he listened until the day of the race. And then he said, I can't stay here. I have to represent my country. I have to finish this race. I've come here to run this race, this 1,500-mile race. So he got in a cab and drove toward the stadium, well behind the time that he needed to be there. But as the cab was getting toward the stadium, one mile out, there was a traffic jam, like was stopped. He was not going to make the race. So he got out of the cab, and he ran. To the stadium. It's a mile race and he runs a mile to get there. So for him it was a two mile race, I guess. Obstacle. In that race is an American named Jim Ryan who's not lost a race in three years and holds the world record at the 1500 meters. Kip Kano won by 20 meters. That's perseverance through obstacles. And that's a picture of what the Christian should strive to live. To press through the obstacles, to keep trusting in Christ, and the obstacles will come. The circumstances will be there that say, God's not with me. He's not here. He's not doing what needs to be done. These people are too much pressure There's too many difficulties, and on and on it goes. This is a call to endure, to keep pressing forward in trust. The Holy Spirit deemed it fitting to describe the Christian life this way, as a grueling race that we must finish. It's not an unhappy one, it's not a joyless one, but it is one where we must endure. The faith demands it. Now, this is not a competition against other Christians. It's not how fast you finish the race. And that's why I use the example of Akwari. He, didn't, he finished an hour behind the one in front of him. The point was he endured and finished. It's a life of enduring faith and persevering progress. And it is the running of a race that is set before us. In other words, a race that is marked out for us. It is not our task to discover or determine what that race should look like. It is our task to heed God's Word and follow it every day of our lives. So, there you are, running in the lane that's marked out for you. The course is there. You're running in that lane. Your feet are slamming hard on the ground. Your legs feel heavy. 
Your lips and jowls are flapping as you run to reserve the energy even to stiffen your face. And your body cries out for some way to continue. What do you do? Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The picture here is as we're running and we want to stop, it's difficult to continue on, we look down the track and we see there Jesus at the end. Fix your eyes on Him. Fix your eyes on the circumstances around, the difficulties of life, the weakness of your own soul. Those who are watching, those who are against you, you'll fail. Look down the lane, look down that which is marked out for you, and see Jesus there. We're to fix our gaze on Him. Uh, That is, to look at the way He lived to look at the way that He died, on the life He lives today, and on the promises of His return. These are to be a daily, moment-by-moment focus of our lives. The only way to overcome the discouragement from within and the persecution from without is to set our sights on Christ. And why? Because of who He is. He is, the, as we see here in verse 2, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder of our faith in the sense of the trailblazer, the one who has showed us what faith is, or even the word champion would be effective. He is secondly the perfecter of our faith in the sense that he's lived faith perfectly and he brings faith to its intended and final destination. He is what the faith is all about. So we look to Jesus because of who he is, We look to Jesus because of what He's done. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, that's who He is. What has He done? Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus looked at the ridicule. He looked at the shame the humiliation, the suffering of the cross, and he disregarded it all entirely. Picture a couple. It's their wedding day, and they are completely dressed out for a wedding. It's a beautiful wedding, white wedding dress. And this man has not rented his tucks and shoes, but he's purchased them. And it is the top of the line tucks and shoes, and they are just all ready to go for the day. And they, they go to a, a park where they're getting pictures before the wedding. And it's been a dry summer. And there's a mucky old pond there. And it's got algae growing over the top. And the, it's, the water's sunk. And so the sides are like grimy, muddy slime on the sides. Not a pretty pond, but you know, it looks good in the picture in the background, but they're just there getting their pictures, and there's a three-year-old girl there who's throwing pebbles into the pond, and as they are standing there, she slips on the mud, slides down the bank into the muck, and she's drowning. And without thought, this couple jumps into the mud, slides down the mud, into the muck in this, this algae and horribly ugly water, And they save the girl and bring her out. That's a picture of what it means to despise your clothing. You just don't care. There's something more important that you look right past 
the money, how this is going to look for the wedding, what we're going to do next. You don't worry about any of that. There's a girl drowning there. You just forget the clothes. It's a picture of what Jesus did with the shame of the cross. It didn't matter. He looked right past it. The suffering, the ridicule that we've read of earlier here today in the book of Luke, it didn't matter for the joy that was set before him. It has to be intense joy to endure what he endured and to see right through it to the joy of eternity. The joy of being restored to fellowship with his Father. The joy of knowing again the glory of heaven and the presence there with the Lord. For all of that he endured and we are to look to him. He is our example. And what is the result of all of this? He is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Humbled to the cross, He is now exalted to the Father's right hand. So we're to look to Jesus. Practically, how do we do that? How do we look to Jesus? I won't work this out at any great length, but just a few ideas. One is that we need to read the Gospels. We're not going to look to Jesus unless we're reading the Gospels. And I would even encourage you, think, think about the possibility of reading one gospel every three months. At least that, so that every year you've read through all of the four gospels and every year of your life there's just that routine feeding on the life of Jesus. His teaching, His miracles, who He is, His death, its meaning, His resurrection. You're bringing that out from these four different perspectives routinely through the year. That would be one way to look at Jesus. You can't look at one you don't know, so get to know him. Then secondly, read books that help you better understand Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. You you may read many things or watch many things that really bring you nowhere toward knowing Jesus better. Consider reading literature that helps you understand his death. Understand His resurrection. Understand who He is. How He ministered. And I think also it certainly involves that when we're struggling with sin or feeling spiritually discouraged or tempted to pull out of the Christian race, that we learn the discipline of meditating on Jesus. I can commend this to you by example, by by experience. Just the discipline of saying, I'm really down. I I, I don't feel warmth toward the Lord. I'm struggling with sin. Discipline your mind to think about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and reign. Just meditate for a few moments. It will turn your mind and heart toward Him. And then just the last point of application. So many could be added, but... I think it's so vital to walk in fellowship with people who see Jesus clearly and love Him. To be around such people helps us see Jesus. And that's one of the beauties of the gathered church. To see people who see Jesus. So in this way, to continue to look to Christ as we run this race. Stripping off hindrances, running the Christian race with endurance by fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's the 
the, the directive that we receive. And then secondly, it's very related, but he separates it out here in a, in a second command. We must meditate on the example of Jesus. So we're going a little bit deeper here. The first is kind of to just set our eyes on Jesus there and run toward him, but then here to meditate on the example of Jesus. Verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Here's where the reading of the Gospels, the reading of a book from time to time about Jesus' death informs our perception of what he endured from sinners. This hostility that he endured. The author will press this point further in verse 4. But when we suffer for our faith, indeed when we suffer for any reason, it is always best to look to the example of those who have suffered more. Remember this, when we compare ourselves with those who have suffered less, it's a recipe for depression, for self-pity, for bitterness. Woe is me, nobody suffered like I have. Getting you nowhere. But when we contemplate Jesus suffering the wrath of man, a torturous death, Others could say, perhaps, that they have suffered as much in their death. But no one has suffered that physical death and torture coupled with the torture that Jesus suffered spiritually as He became sin for us. As He was, as the Father turned His face away. The suffering of Jesus is the most intense suffering anyone has ever faced. And it is good and right for us to look to that, to meditate on that, to contemplate that in the midst of our suffering. It keeps it in perspective. So verse 2, set your sights on Jesus at the end of the race. Verse 3, set your gaze upon Him by meditating upon His suffering. And what is the result? so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Remember who he's talking to here. He's writing to, the author here, is writing to individuals who were in very much in danger of growing faint-hearted, of collapsing, of turning away from the Christian walk. Consider Jesus in His suffering, the endurance that He demonstrated, so that you will not grow faint-hearted, grow weary. And again, I think this really takes personal discipline. When we become spiritually discouraged, we need to discipline our minds to meditate in prayer upon the events and the reason that Jesus suffered in our place. That will set our gaze rightly and set the perspective of our spirit in its right direction. And it also involves corporate discipline, not just personal discipline of learning to think about the right things but also the corporate discipline as coming before this table today as we gather around the Lord's Supper. Do we recognize this is a vital part of our sanctification? There's a way of meditating upon Christ's death privately, 
But there is a way of meditating upon that corporately that has great effect. When the body of Christ gathers at the table, it serves to rivet our attention. It serves to help us consider Jesus' death in a way that private devotion cannot. It is vital to perseverance in the faith that we gather together and remember the Lord's death. You see how here at the table we do the very thing that we're called to do here, to consider Him who suffered. And in doing that, it helps us to continue to run the race with fidelity. I certainly speak today to some who are not in this race at all. You are merely spectators to the faith of others. We point you here, this book points you here to Christ's work, to the one who mediates between you and the Father, to the final high priest, to the final and complete sacrifice for sin. That is who Jesus is, and that is what we remember as his followers here today. The only response that's appropriate for you is to get in the race by trusting in Him, repenting of sin, turning to Him, and putting your hope in Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sin. Then in the future, by God's grace, in time, you'll not be only an observer of this remembrance table but an active participant in the fellowship with other believers, that fellowship that's enjoyed around this table. For believers, we ask ourselves the question again, are you running with endurance the race that is set before you? Keep running. May we help one another continue to run. Let us join our hearts in worship around this table as we consider the one who endured such hideous suffering in our behalf to rescue us, to free us from our sin. For the joy that we will one day know at the marriage supper of the Lamb in His kingdom, we gather at this table to eat, to remember, and to look forward. For our part at this point in the race, we need only to finish the race by looking to Jesus. So let us do that now in communion with one another and communion with our risen Savior. Father, we pray that you would aid us in doing that. Help us now to draw near, to focus our attention on what Christ has suffered for the redemption of his people and to thereby be sanctified. We ask that you would work in and through us to this end and meet with us here in worship. Through Christ we pray. Amen.